0: was always wanting to ideate outside like by ourselves and mm-hmm. when we we're at a restaurant and when we we're eating lunch and it just I was like all the time and he's like okay we got yeah, like, 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 s- yeah, it yeah we spent
1: 100 hours together in the office yeah, yeah. like we don't need to spend another 20 hours outside of the office still talking yeah. about this stuff hey
2: everybody I'm Blake from Allsmith and you're watching After the Exit it's the show where I interview CEOs after they've sold their startup and have them share the lessons that they've learned in blood about business about relationships and life and look You can learn a couple tips from how they built it, but the real wisdom, the moral of the story, comes at the end, after the exit. So today, we have two very special guests, my current co-founders, Chris and Nikki Ridenour. Now, before they were a married couple, they started in 2012 as co-founders of Listener, an ultrasonic proximity platform. Chris as an engineer and CTO, and Nikki as a designer. After working with a ton of major artists and hosting 30,000-plus user activations, they raised Series A with Progress Ventures. Shortly thereafter, they left the company in 2014. That led to Chris founding Casomatic and going through both the Ocean and Brandry Accelerators in Cincinnati, and later raising a seed round from Accelerant. After pivoting from B2C to B2B, they decided to shut down the company and return the funds to the investors. Chris then joined me as CTO of Cladwell for two years, while Nikki went through the uptech startup accelerator with her startup FarmB. Chris later joined Nikki on FarmBee after they had their first child. Now, they are current co-founders with me in boilerplate.legal. This episode is brought to you by Visible.vc. Raise capital, update investors, and engage your team from a single platform. It's also brought to you by boilerplate.legal. Did you know that the average startup spends $30,000 in their first two years on legal costs? You can save 90% of those costs on venture capital-approved legal documents using boilerplate.legal. Thank you for yeah. doing this. Really Happy excited to, to uh, go through these. You've got a long list, yeah. so we're going to have to cruise through these. I don't um, talk to you enough. Yes, yeah, so, no <laughs> kidding, yeah. Um, no, I'm really pumped to be doing this. Um, and I think the big reason that I like a lot of the lessons that you have and, like, your perspective is because, despite, I feel like your title has typically been CTO in most of the startups that you've been in. Yeah. Um but I feel like you wear the founder hat primarily. Yeah. And I feel like you're primarily an entrepreneur yeah. with a skill set in the technical area as opposed to primarily a technical person with a skill set. You know, I just feel like that's like Yeah. Um so I feel like as the lessons come through, it's really, really helpful as a co-founder and I think a good model to CTOs out there to be like, no, you are a business person first. Yeah. So yeah. um so on that, let's just start jumping right into it. All right. Number one was uh You said four first-time founders and one founder who was CEO of another startup was probably not a great recipe for success. (laughs) Yes. Expound.
1: Uh (laughs) Um, So, yeah, with my first company, uh, Listener, uh, we started in 2012 on a bus, uh, which is a bold place to start. um, And really just got the right right people together, had the right skill sets, really hashed it out had a lot of like success got some early feedback from vcs down in austin texas at the end of the bus ride and we're just like let's just do it and like no one ever spent any thought of like is who's gonna like lead this through who's you know like is he gonna leave his current company to come work with this you know it was just he had a lot of enthusiasm but probably not a lot of like intentional decision around who was founders, who was early employees. You know, a lot of the things that we preach now, it's just like no one ever had those thoughts. We were just all super excited. Um, But obviously it just created issues down the line as expectations differed as we moved along and, um, you know, who did what. I mean, you know, we had two developers. So who's going to be CTO? And it just always, it never had any clear answers. And so we just set ourselves up for failure. It's like you have to be super intentional about who you're founding with. Um, at this point, I would never found a company with someone I haven't known for a couple of years. Um, and that's kind of been my motto ever
2: since, since. It's worked out better. Yeah, do you wish that you had those... I guess when should you have had those conversations? Because like when you're spitballing, you don't have those conversations. Exactly. Yet. Yeah. What's that tipping point when you should be like, hold on, if we're really doing this, we got to talk about your other company. Yeah. We need to talk about who's going to do what, like uh,
1: before you're signing documents. You know, like and, and don't even draft the documents before you've had those conversations. I mean, we're just like you don't want to go into like a startup weekend and be like, listen, who's going to leave their job for this or not? But as you progress along, also you're forming and signing company, you know, signing documents, looking at investment. Um, it's like okay, like working real talk like who's going to leave their job for this and what's everyone's role going to be and do you need to be a founder or not you know who's kind of leading the charge can be harder in those kind of group situations Uh, but again we we always talk about this it's better to have it's easier to have the hard conversations early than to have them
2: later yes oh that's really good yeah that's really good number two you said early advisor shares are so easily wasted yes nas still has equity for some reason yes
1: um i mean you know it's just another one of those like stereotypical startup mistakes. You're like, we got connected with someone who knew someone who knew Nas, And he's like, oh, that's a cool idea. I'd love to help for some equity. So clearly he's done this before. And we're like, this can not go wrong at all. Why wouldn't we just give him a percent of our company? Yeah. Uh, and I don't think we've literally ever heard from him. I think we have like, the, they have, the company still has the right to use his image on their advisory board. And I think that's all they get out of it. But it's, it's, it's like, why, why did we do that? Like for a whole percentage point of the company, yeah. you know? Like so you don't was, think that was worthwhile? not at all i don't think it opened up any doors i don't think he there was any any personal involvement there it's like he just one you know he's kind of selling his name to a bit
2: mm-hmm. but i don't know that it ever opened any doors for anyone but from a hype standpoint you don't think it helped for pr or anything like that i don't think so definitely not for what we spent for it
1: hmm. in the long run you know if you
2: look at the value of their shares it's like was that worth it you know sure yeah but it was only it was one percent it was one percent of the company to me, that seems like, I don't know, it still kind of sounds like kind of a deal. I've heard of, like, uh, even, like, models or yeah. like charging 5% or something yeah. like that to, to be considered a co-founder or whatever. But
1: Yeah. I mean, there was definitely no, like, we're going to spend this and we get to use it for the PR. It was, we're going to spend this and he's going to open up in, uh, doors in the music industry and make connections and things like that. And that, and that did not happen. Yeah. So, I think it was just, like, we didn't know what we were getting out of it. We just were jumping at the name mm-hmm. and thought it was really cool and... Usually that's what we did. That was a lot of what we did. which was what we thought was really cool. Yeah. Uh, and that works great when you're a 23-year-old and you just want to do cool things to tell friends and family, but it wasn't necessarily good for the company. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like most people who claim they're going to connect you into the industry, <laughs> once you give them equity, yeah. typically if they haven't already connected you yeah. in, they're You'll not never, going to. You're never
1: going to hear from them again. Yeah. And why would you? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can rest them if you want, but even then, it's still just the incentive's not there. So.
2: Hmm. That's good. Um, you said, uh, you have no idea what your job role will entail. Despite always having the title of CTO, I've shown people houses, <laughs> run interviews, been a full-time audio editor, graphic designer, video producer, and editor, competed in pitch competitions inside NFL stadiums, yep. etc.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think you kind of mentioned this too. It's like you're a founder first, like you're going to do whatever the business requires you to do, regardless of whatever your title is or what your normal day-to-day job is. Um, and I think you just have to have the right personality for that to like thrive in this type of environment. Like for me, that's awesome. I love that. was like, I love to learn how to learn to do this and to do it and do something different every day. Um, and then other times I love just coding all day too. But, um, I think especially early employees and sometimes the co-founders like they don't want to do things outside of their, you know you bring in a cmo Mm -hmm. kind of co-founder and they don't want to do go show people houses or things like that and it's like you have to do whatever's needed for the business to move forward Mm -hmm. especially because you don't know what the business is going to need tomorrow either so you can't like plan ahead for that so um just yeah early employee or founder just have to be ready for whatever and Mm -hmm. roll with it and if it starts to cause issues maybe throw up the red flag at that point but like
2: if it's only for a week you should just do it <laughs> that's really good yeah. yeah i feel like cto in particular yeah. often is like hey i don't solve problems that are not yeah in the technical zone
1: yeah, we even um, had that problem with early employees um especially like Cosmatic we had a couple that just like they were more marketing sales in nature but like if we had them pivot outside of that role just like hey we need someone to do this they Didn't work out. It's like I don't think you belong in this environment, you know. Like, and so that one ended quickly. But yeah, Yeah, I've
2: heard people say you want to hire generalists and partner with generalists early on, and then specialists later on. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Unless you have a very specific need that you know you're going to need for a couple years. That's
2: good. Um, He said founders have to be in it together. Having done this four times now, I guess you're on your fifth. Uh, it's obvious when the entire team is taking on challenges together versus yeah. seeing each other as skill sets to move things forward.
1: Yeah. So that one's like, I mean, it really came down to the first one where it was five almost strangers getting together. And it was just like, oh, you're a good co founder because you can do this and I can do this and we mesh well. And that's what I mean. Again, it works inside like a startup weekend or a startup bus. Um, But it doesn't really work when you're having to work at four in the morning to try and push this deadline for a client or something like that. Um, You have to be an actual team. And I think it's really easy to just get lost in the weeds of like, we checked all the boxes, our Venn diagrams have the perfect match, you know, or whatever the latest you know personality quiz is, like give me the thumbs up. Like, if you're not actually in it together as a team, you just end up in this space where you just have this resentment of like, well, I'm having to do this because the company needs you know, especially in tech companies, it's like, oh, the servers are on fire all night. I'm working all night, uh, and having someone just drop by and say, "How's it going?" is like, oh, just such a heartening thing. I'm like, oh yeah, you're in this too. You may not have the skill set to help at this exact moment, but you're helping where you can. You're, hey, do you need anything? I can I bring you pizza? Can I do things like that? It's usually just like. It just a mindset shift versus like other people are like, well, you were supposed to handle the servers, so like why didn't that work kind of thing, so.
2: Yeah, it's that division of labor. Yeah. You want to have skills in different areas. Yeah. But responsibility kind of across the board. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Hmm. Um, you said no one understands your product or customer better than your leadership team <laughs> after only 15 minutes. Yeah. No matter how great the meeting was, don't pivot your product on a dime. Well, I've worked with a lot of CEOs. Uh, no
1: offense, sure. um, and uh, you know, you just get in this mindset as, as a founder, and I, I did it too, especially in those early stages when you're like part of an accelerator and you're just meeting with people and a lot of really smart people. And you go in a room and they tell you what they think you should do, and you're like that's awesome. We should try that. It's not what that you should take away from that meeting. You know, like no matter how smart that person is, or even what their industry experience is, they're not building your company. They haven't gone through what you've gone through to get to where you are. Um, and especially coming from like the product side where that's kind of been my focus, you have, you know, a lot of times you have this kind of CEO bomb that kind of like, they went and met with someone and they had an idea and they come back like, Hey guys, we're going to try this new thing right now, drop everything we've been working on. And then we decided together as a team, because this one smart person I talked to had this idea and we're just going to see how it all falls out, you know? And it's just like, that never has ever worked out well. In the end, like, I mean, it's just, you know, and it just part of early stage startup is kind of that, but also sides like, you just be intentional. Like, Hey, I heard this amazing thing. Let's all sit down and talk about how it could impact what we're doing. Cool. But are like, Hey, I had this idea. Can we build this? I told him we'd build this feature by next week. Can we go ahead and launch it? It's like, that's the less fun. So
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think some of it has to do with the profile of a lot of CEOs. Yeah. Are like in the Strengths Finder, they talk about like often you're an activator. Like yeah. I said, my top five is an activator. Yeah. So It's like walks in the room and claps and says, yeah. "Let's do this." And, like typically, that's the person who starts
0: the yeah. company, yeah.
2: right? But the problem is that uh, you need to separate strategy and activator <laughs> yeah. from each other for a second yeah. and say, "Okay, let's just talk about it before yeah. we clap and say yeah. we're going let's to start a meeting,
1: meeting, not start a new feature. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, I've made a habit. I don't know if you've noticed this but uh, more recently I made a habit of like if there's anything that would fundamentally shift the business um, I write it down and say I'll bring it up in a week and that's why we have like a a once a week meeting where we bring up issues Um, like I started the list of you know, changing our company name. Yeah. I started that list two weeks ago. Yeah. But I didn't want to bring it up until I actually knew, yeah. like, do I really think this is, like, yeah. you know, because otherwise it does just dis- disorient everybody.
1: Yeah. You just yeah. need, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're doing something hard, you know, it just takes time to do and you're never going to be able to accomplish anything hard if, right, before the time you complete it, someone's yeah. already on a new path, you know.
2: Do you think that uh, the habit of accelerator setting up, meetings with founders like again and again and again like is that actually good
1: it depends on where the company is and i think that's Mm -hmm. what accelerators have really learned in the last um probably like really five or six years is what stage a company is in and whether they're a good fit for an accelerator isn't just like strong founding team good idea but also like a little bit of traction so they know what direction to go so the meetings they have with mentors can help refine and optimize Versus, like, taking a company that's just, like, flailing and just adding more chaos to that hmm. with all the mentors, it just doesn't really help. So, um, you can kind of see the later and later stage as they kind of move in um, to for these accelerators. You know, they used to be pre-seed, they're kind of, like, post-seed or post-revenue now.
2: So. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain stage where advice is not that helpful. Yeah. Like, when you're just building, like, yeah. those just, like, leave me alone until yeah. I'm there. Yeah. Um, you said find a mentor with a different skill set than you. Mm-hmm. Um, having a tech mentor is fine, but you didn't usually have tech problems. You said, I have business, marketing, or general interpersonal problems, Yes. Um, especially while navigating messy exits. It was yeah. invaluable to have a neutral third party.
1: Yeah, and so for me, that, that mentor was Dave Knox in his early mm. days. Um, so a new day through, um, I'd reach out because I was leaving P&G, so he had left P&G and kind of just said, hey, what should I do with my life? Like <laughs> I used to be a mechanical engineer, now I'm a developer, but I've always had uh, interest in business. Uh, and he said, well, I can hook you up with a brandier company or you can come work with me at uh, Rockfish at the time. Hmm. Um, so I worked there and he was just kind of the, my kind of startup Sherpa and kind of pushed me into the Startup Weekend Startup Bus and kind of guided me through a lot of that. But he was always just like a neutral third party um, for especially all those interpersonal things with founders because obviously he sees a lot of that through with, with the brander and whatnot. But. In general, it's just like I never really had tech questions. I never needed, like, another CTO to, like, just always go to. It's like I always had startup problems or fundraising problems or, you know, and so it was always really nice to have someone you could just kind of reach out to and you kind of had your back, wasn't, wasn't your lawyer, even though they're helpful, wasn't, you know, wasn't involved in any way, um, and I think that was really helpful for me.
2: Did you ask him officially to do that or did it was it just kind of a relationship or what was the nature of that?
1: Uh, I think it was just a relationship and helped that we went and worked together in the same office for a long time um, and I think I just he just knew I had an interest and he always felt that there needed to be more tech founders and <laughs> like he's just like I see a CTO I need you to be in startups like I think that would be helpful because he always had like Cincinnati in mind like he's always trying to build us up and so um, I think that was his probably motivation there. But it was, helpful for me so yeah it's a
2: huge it's a huge service yeah yeah that's cool um you said if you're a minority founder the company's lawyer is there to represent what's best for the company not you yeah
1: yeah yeah i mean so think about when we had five founders um most of us were minority founders (laughs) (laughs) um but i mean at the end of the day you, you know no matter what the question is when it comes down to like when you we got brand new employment docs at the end of a fundraise or something that added new clauses that, you know, you couldn't work on side projects or things like that. Like your first gut was to go to your lawyer who's been there helping you along. By that point, he's there to represent the company. Um and so he's gonna do tell you what's best for the company. Which is fine, which you know, and but sometimes you just need to like separate yourself from the company at a later stage. You know, or if you're just always a minority founder, like you are not represented by the same person who's representing the other founders or the company or now your investors or the board. Um, and so it's just important to keep that in mind. That, like You don't necessarily need to go get your own lawyer, but uh, understand that they're going to tell you what's going to be best for the company in most cases.
2: So. Yeah, there's a great scene in Silicon Valley with Ron Laflamme, mm-hmm. when all of a sudden, I think they have that realization that, oh, he represents the company, not them as individuals. Yeah, That's disorienting for a founding team though, yeah. when you start, I don't know. Have you found that disorienting even as, as yourself of like, when am I doing what's in the best interest of the company versus doing what's in the best interest for myself or my family?
1: Oh, almost always. Yeah. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, especially once you start taking in venture money, like you are that company that you started, which was a piece of you and you owned a piece of is now it's own separate entity. Um, and you're doing what's best for the entity because it's usually what's good for you. Um, uh, but you're just always going to have that struggle of, especially as you just give up more and more control, um, you're steering the ship, but you don't own the ship anymore. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough mental shift. Um, but it's a, it's a good challenge I have.
2: So hmm. you said, I like this little line, uh, <laughs> think about yourself four years ago. Would you make the same decisions <laughs> then as you do today? If not, understand that vesting is not to screw you over. Yeah.
1: Oh man. I was so anti-vesting when I was define 20. vesting define vesting. Yeah, quick. sure. Yeah. Uh, vesting is, um, when you get equity in a company, you get a certain portion of that throughout X number of months or years um, as you go through, as, you're, as long as you're
2: still involved in the company. You don't get 50% now. Yeah. It's going to be like, okay, I'm going to just get a little bit each year over yeah. time, work my way to 50%. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so, you know, this is back in 2012, but it was still your kind of standard, I think it was probably in three-year for one-year cliff. So you got a third after a year and the rest kind of came monthly after that. And I was just like, no, like, this is ours. Why would I do this? And I just I just had no idea. And I think that's what most first-time founders do. Like, why would I give up? Why would you say I'm going to give you a third of my company? Or uh, I'm only going to give you a third after a year and then kind of triple the rest. Um, but, I mean, it's just you don't know where you're going to be. And no one wants to put money in your company if you could just walk away with a huge chunk of it. Um, yeah, it's just for me, I just need, I need someone to say that to me. Like, where were you four years ago? Where do you think you'll be in four years? Do you think you'll be here? Then why would you get to walk away with all this? Like it's its there to, that everyone's on the same ground. Cause you don't want your co-founder leaving on day two, walking away with 20% of the company. They don't want you leaving on day two, walking away with 20%
2: of the company. So um, I just need a good slap on the head, but yeah. Yeah. Why do you think you didn't understand that? Or I, what was it that you objected to?
1: I think I mean all of my, all of my interactions with businesses were just small businesses. Um, you know, work. My, my dad runs an engineering company. Just you know, it's not even a Corps, You know, like it just I, being not in the coast and not involved in anything, I didn't know what venture capital was at the time. Like I just didn't know anything about it. Um, and I just it just my gut check was like, that's weird. Why would I not get it? Like yeah. you said, like you said, we're starting it. We will split it five ways. Why would mine trickle in? Mm-hmm. Um, You know, so that was yeah, that felt awful. Awesome. <laughs> well,
2: it's kind of like buying a house. Like it's like you don't think of you don't vest into a house. Yeah, you have a car, you don't vest into a car. Yeah, and so I think when you think of ownership, you think of assets. Yeah, but it, it's almost like Skyline Chili, where like we use the word Chili, but it's like a completely different thing than Texas Chili. Like, like yeah. it just happens to be the same word. Yeah. Same thing with ownership in a startup. Yeah, it's a different thing yeah. than it is in owning a house or a car. Yeah, uh- yeah.
1: Most, most of us don't own our houses either. Yes. But <laughs> Did that end up burning
2: you or burning any of the companies that you worked in?
1: Um, it probably ended up burning the company in terms of I was able to walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, I mean, I sold it all back to them um, mm-hmm. because I didn't want it. You know, like, yeah. I was like, it wasn't good for the company for me to hold on to that either. But yeah. it would have been easier for them to exit. You know, it would have been less yep. messy. Yep. I yeah, I
2: did the, I mean, we did the same thing. We had our first CTO walk away, yeah. same situation. And after six months. Yeah. And, I stood longer than that. And we asked uh, <laughs> we asked for it back and yeah. it didn't pan out. So another reason, reason number 42 to yeah. use Boilerplate. Yes. Like, yes. Um, cool. All right. Um, number nine, understand the legal stuff during the race or have a great lawyer who does. Things yeah. can change in the 11th hour and have huge impacts on the company, founders, or both.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking back to our Series A uh, with Listener. We had so much on the 11th hour stuff that, I mean it just stuff just comes up that they're like oh wait we actually wanted the these two founders to revest or to start vesting at this point and like docs had to be signed by you know October 31st and it's October 30th and here's the call you know and it's just like you have to understand what's going on cuz you're not going to have time to be like okay let me review this let me sit down and think about it um, and so I just think if you're a, if you're interested in starting a company you just have to learn that stuff up front because I was just like scrambling to learn it as we went um, luckily by series I understood most of what was happening but um, it still just caught me off everything caught me off guard and the, mm-hmm. like like we've been doing this for six months as part of this race like why is stuff coming up the night before mm-hmm. um, and whether there was you know ill intent there or not I have no idea but it's just like it just you don't want to be caught off guard and, and not understand what's happening or why you might have to sign something um, and so just yeah you have to have a full understanding because you could sign something that someone said you need to sign right now uh, that could forever change like you're impacting the company or you know, everything like that so
2: yeah totally i mean you think about i mean that's like the social network that famous oh, scene yeah. you know right It's like, the something comes in at the last minute and yeah. you think oh lawyer says it investor says it i'll just go ahead and sign yeah. but it they can have a massive impact yeah yeah hmm. uh next you said uh speed is important but if you have any doubts at all about your lead investor don't move forward
1: yeah. Uh, this was actually with, uh, with Cosmatic. Um, so we were coming out of a demo day at the Brandery and, uh, had two investors we were talking to to lead our seed round. One, this was near the end of the year, but one said, Hey, we probably we'll close in November. And the other said, we probably won't be able to close until into January. Um, and we ended up just, Purely picking the one from November because we're like less time for the deal to fall apart, you know. Like mm-hmm. just we need the money now. We can actually start growing and to be working over the winter with an expanded team. Um, and end up going that route. End up not getting the money till January, anyways. Because yeah, um, and it's just like that decision on who we had to lead our seed round is what ended up killing the company in the long run. Um, and it's just like we should have just paused, taken a better look, looked at the reputation of both, looked at who we're working with both. Uh, and we would have gone with the other one Um, but so it's just like speed's important you always talk about how much you got to do it fast got to do it fast and this comes up a couple times on my points it's just like yes you have to do it fast like don't spend i'm gonna spend nine months on developing this new feature but like there's a point too where it's like also take a breath and make sure you're you're being intentional with this
2: yeah especially with these non-reversible things yeah right like you can't just be like actually we don't want you on the cap table anymore (laughs) yeah We'll, we'll take so that there, board seat back, yes. yeah. There's an interesting lesson for VCs here, which is yeah. that if you move quick, you'll get in deals. Yeah. You know, like oh, they... We're just, we're just wanting money. Like, yeah. We're just, yeah. I think that's that's really, I don't know, that's powerful. Yeah. Hmm. Um, get all documents up front before joining an accelerator. Yes. Understand you probably won't be able to negotiate. You have no power if you're pre-revenue, but you probably want to pass on any secured notes up front.
1: Yeah, so this actually happened um, with the original iteration of Ocean Accelerator, we were kind of a part of that founding class and it was like week three or four that they they didn't have the documents available there um, because they were still working them out. Um, So it was like week three or four by the time we actually got the documents and I still feel like the only reason we stayed through it was um, just kind of the social pressure of Mm. being around, like not wanting to be like, get up and leave because we didn't like the documents for the the money coming in which, Mm. Um, it was a small amount of money, but it just set a precedent because it was a secured note, so any money we had to raise after that was a secured note, which a secured note means uh, if, for whatever reason, you start to shut down the company, like all the assets didn't have to go through some process to go to um, back to the investor versus just being like a debt you write off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it just set up a precedent for all the money we raised later to be secured so that when we did finally shut down the company, it just made everything worse at the end of like, okay, who owned this laptop? Did the company use it? Do we have to give this laptop to our lead lead investor now? Like, it just felt, everything felt super weird. Hmm. Um, and it just all started because that we didn't know the docs up front. We couldn't have known in that case, but we never asked. Hmm. Um, and we probably could have gotten some word of what was actually in them. Um, but... Yeah, I just like, I don't know that we would have done it onto those those terms if, mm-hmm. if we known. So it's just like, make sure that everything is there before day one. Cause you don't want to feel that social pressure to stick in there. And you also don't want again, those irreversible decisions can't unsecure notes later and can't go. And it. you know, it's this mm-hmm. this weird thing of like, we are pathless set in terms of that. So.
2: Hmm. Yeah. We, uh we tried on the negotiating side. We tried to negotiate with an accelerator yeah. and did not pan out they won't. at all. Yeah. There's no, yeah. no give at all. Um, <laughs> Yeah.
1: They do too many deals to care about that. So Yeah. yeah. And again, if you're like post revenue, have a lot of money coming in, they'll wiggle on certain things, but you're still going to use their docs. So.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. Um, you said take advantage uh, for the accelerator side. Mm-hmm. You said take advantage of every benefit of the accelerator a larger team to motivate you, mentors who will be less available after. Um, and then you said being an alumni has some benefits, but not as much.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I feel like we didn't leverage. Uh, specifically while we are at the Braindery, like being there, being surrounded by other companies who are there, putting in similar hours, who are just like, everyone's in the struggle, everyone's in the fight. Um, like we didn't take advantage of that enough. Like we, um, and just like, again, with the mentors that are available, they kind of make themselves really available for teams in the session. And then like, after the fact like you could always email them, but like, they're not as invested as they Mm -hmm. are like during, um during the session so it's just like make sure you're using every advantage because sometimes again especially for me it's like I sometimes i want to put my headphones on in code for two weeks and just get the new feature out but like you're just missing on that because i mean what a lot of what they're putting into you is yeah they're usually giving you money um but a lot of what they're putting into you is access to these resources and stuff like that so i just want to you want to squeeze out every ounce of value yes. you can so
2: yeah i mean so uh, Clavel being through five hundred startups, I think it's considered one of the stronger networks post accelerator. Yeah. But in terms of the value that we received from five hundred, I'd say ninety five percent we received during, during the accelerator. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just I mean you have that network available to you, and if you have a very specific ask, but if you're like I just need to talk to someone about blah, like it's, you're not usually going to find some industry and the spotlight's
2: that. on you when you're yeah. in the class right now like the spotlight's on you everyone wants to help you yeah once you're out you're yeah. kind of like yeah it's not the same yeah. well related you said demo day is primarily a spectacle for the accelerator not mm-hmm. for you people who raise post demo day including Cosmatic, already had laid the groundwork prior to that yeah it may move the needle if you nail it but raising money is usually about who worked hardest on fundraising
1: yeah so I think a lot of I mean we definitely saw this with UpTech, which um, we went through with a different company later um but you had all these people praying for Demo Day, like, this is going to be great, I'm going to do Demo Day, and then I'm going to be able to raise money and do all these things. It's like, if you didn't think you were going to raise money before Demo Day, you're not going to raise money. Yet. Like, it's not there to be like, oh, this is a great company, I'm going to invest in them. Like, maybe that happens once in a thousand times. But, like, most of the time, it's they're there, they see you, they like to see you, but you've already been talking to them for two months, and then they may make the decision if that's the, the deciding factor. But usually then it's like they already decided to invest in you before then. Um, and so you're doing that to say thank you to the accelerator for all the help and stuff they did like it is you're doing that for the accelerator you're really not doing that for yourself in yes. almost any case that I've seen
2: yes demo day is 100% it's a yes it's a gift to yes. the accelerator to say yeah. let's show let them show the work that they've done yeah um, yeah that's 100 oh that's so good <laughs> and that's a surprise to so many founders though. Oh. it was a surprise to yeah. me yeah I was thinking you know we'd be getting checks you swarmed <laughs> with checks after yeah. yeah
1: and it's just not not how that works no
2: yeah. Um, next, you said, be careful who you surround yourself with. We moved from working inside the accelerator to a shared space at a large tech company. Um, you said, uh, yeah, maybe say a little bit more on that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so we, this is kind of like, we didn't leverage being at the Brandery long enough. We had another mm-hmm. spot to be like, again, Brandery was a little bro i I'll be honest, but like, and we were kind of wedged in there, but again, everyone who had the same mindset, like were there late hours working on things, um, had, you know, was in the same struggle. Um, but we had a chance to go work in this amazing office building downtown. It was a huge tech company and they had this whole space set aside for startups that were kind of data-driven to mm-hmm. kind of be there um, and just kind of work in their building. And there's a couple other startups around, but like while we were there, we just kind of adapted the culture of that tech company, which was you know run by a Fortune 500 company. And it's just like, not like we weren't really there nine to five, but we kind of acted like we were people at a nine to five job. Like it really kind of killed any chance of having your own culture. Um, or just being in a startup culture, it just kind of felt like you're working at the big tech company, but we're working on an interesting project. Um, and I think that just, like, it just that did not help us in any way, shape, or form. It just kind of killed any sort of culture. And, like, I don't think we, it's kind of like a frog boiling problem. Like, we had no idea until, like, also, we kind of had this thought, and we were like, man, we just we don't really have a team culture. Um, I think it was really splashed on me when. When I was at Cloudwell, after the fact, I'm like, "Oh yeah, like this is why I liked working at startups in my own small teams. Like this was just completely absent at the last, you know, six to eight months at, at Cosmatic. It was it's really bizarre, um, and I, I wish we wouldn't have done it." <laughs> in yeah. And I'm
2: the physical space makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah, it really does. Like, yeah. I mean, you're there a lot, and you should you should want to be there a lot, um, and. Yeah, it it can make make or break. I think whether you're enjoying working on the work you're doing. So.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Um, like uh, number fifteen, you said months matter, years matter, but probably not weeks, and definitely not days. Yeah, talk about that.
1: Um, yeah. So I mean, we you have this like again comes down to like speed, like everything's gonna be fast, we gotta mm-hmm. get this done, we gotta push this out Friday, it's gotta be Friday, not Monday. Like, why does it have to be Friday, yeah. not Monday? Like, I get it, it's like we, again, you don't wanna push something that's gonna take, oh, it's gonna take us six, eight months to build this. Um, but if I can do this in four weeks instead of six weeks or two weeks, it's like, what does it really matter in the long run of the company? Is Are you neck and neck with a competitor who's pushing features weeks ahead of you? If not, then probably not um it, you know it, be careful what you're giving up for that you know for uh for me specifically it's actually uh my honeymoon <laughs> so we got married uh during uh our right before our time at the brandery and so our honeymoon was during the brandery so we pushed it off at brandery that made sense it was fine and then we pushed it off for a big feature and then we pushed it off for another big feature and all of a sudden yada yada yada, it's 18 months on the line we're not taking a honeymoon. Wow. Um, and it's just like and by that time i was just mad it was like none of like oh we stay we kick push off our honeymoon to do this which ended up having zero impact on the company or our survivability or anything like that um so by the time we went um i was mad about it the my team still didn't think it was a good time for me to be gone for a few weeks and so they were mad about it but like in reality it didn't really matter you know but it's just like we just it ended up being kind of a negative drain on the honeymoon that I was like feeling like I was gone missing something because it wasn't a good time um but like and what did those weeks matter no longer absolutely yeah. nothing so um and I think it kind of even happened with um with baby stuff too when we were in well it's like we were like in the middle of this build and we were like kind of a few weeks behind and the babies are coming out and so then it's like oh god like there's just constant pressure to like get it done but like what is another two weeks like mm-hmm. would it have mattered in the long run like probably not so yes um it's just a, a reminder of like as someone's been in the weeds for almost like nine years it's like the months matter for sure and that's the years definitely matter but like the weeks it depends on how many but probably not in the days definitely not like if you get something on a monday instead of friday like that's just because you're doing you're building something new mm-hmm. you don't know how long it's going to take no one's actually ever done this before mm-hmm. um and so you're gonna get it wrong a lot so yeah
2: i've seen Recently, I worked with a team, and I've seen the CEO use deadlines to get everyone to kind of together push. Yeah. And I can't deny it that it does seem to work. Yeah. I guess, how do you balance those things? I mean, it depends on
1: what is the deadline for. Like, Mm -hmm. the, the team has to believe in the deadline. You know, like we said in this meeting two months ago, we're going to launch by this day and let's push through. Yeah. Um, but if it's like, hey, there's an external reason, like we have this customer who's running a concert, <laughs> this is a real story, mm-hmm. running a concert, wants to use this technology in that concert on this day. Well, hell yeah, we're going to push through, yeah. you know, like, I mean, it's it's really hard to say that like deadlines don't matter, but you should leave them for when they matter um, instead of just creating arbitrary deadlines for arbitrary things. Uh, and I think it's, you know, I've seen as part of some of my freelance work, like someone set a deadline for the end of the month and it was like week one, you know, no one ever asked like how long it was going to take. Mm. Like, I just love to see this launch for right the end of the month. Like it was a two and a half month project, even mm. for two developers. But like, of a also now we're missing deadlines every week as justification for why we missed that deadline. And it's mm. like, that's just not how this works. So, you know, there's got to be a time and place for them and a reason for them. Um, other than just like trying to get more work, you mm-hmm. know, cause you don't really want to see your team as like someone you're trying to squeeze
2: productivity out of. See, I think that the underlying problem is not trusting yeah. the work ethic of the people that you're on the team with. Yeah. Um, cause that, that's, it really, it's a way of forcing people to work harder, yes. which assumes that you know they're not working hard. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Or you, you're believing that and that, or that they, you'd earn more of their work than they're putting in or something like right. that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but it does kind of remove the real deadlines when you actually have a real deadline, yes. too. Yeah. Hmm. Now, there's some, there's a really big lesson there that I, I've seen a lot of people use deadlines. And I think it works especially well with outside resources. Sure. It does work with contractors who, when they're sharing time across other people, when yeah. you give them an arbitrary deadline. Yeah you get more attention. You yeah. squeeze out the yeah. people competing for their attention. Yeah. Because
1: the, to them, you are an external factor. Like, oh, right. the client said the deadline kind of thing. Yes. But for internally, if everyone knows the deadline was just because someone wrote it on a board one day, yeah. like there's not a lot of motivation behind it. You might squeeze out a few more late nights from
2: people, but it's not gonna be their best work. You yeah, can, in the long know, run, is that really worth it? Is that really worth it, yeah. That's really good. Um, you said, if your investor changes their board member to someone who doesn't share your vision <laughs> or isn't providing value, don't try to please them.
1: Yeah. Um, so this is ultimately when I said we made that choice on which investor to go with. We went with the fast one. Well, what ended up happening is about two weeks or two months, something like that. After we closed, um, their board changed, their entire personnel changed. The person they assigned to our board changed. Um, so we were working with strangers at that point, mm. um, and they had. I don't even know if they even liked us at all, honestly. Like they're like, well, you're a part of our portfolio, so we're gonna have to move you along, kind of thing, but they never really saw the vision. I don't think they agreed with the people who actually agreed to put the money into us. Um there was tranches we had set up and they were um they wanted to change what those tranches were, so we were kind of trying to appease them. Um and we just spent so much time kind of like trying to wiggle around these new tranches, and it's just it was just the wrong move. We should have just been like, you know what? Those tranches of money is probably gone. Like mm-hmm. we need to work away to remove this person from our board. and We need to go out and find new. Like there are probably better money to find than trying to wiggle into their tranches because it just wasted six or eight months of our time trying to like meet those tranches, which didn't really meet the goals that we had as a company at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, just like we are trying to please the person who, again. They're on our board. Like no, no, no like you can't just you don't ignore them. But like once it was clear that we didn't share a vision for the company with them. Uh, we should have been trying to reduce that relationship and let go of that relationship because there's no more
2: money coming. So. Yeah, if they're dangling money to take you in a direction different than your vision. Yeah. Find different money. Exactly, yeah. That's really good. Um, you said, uh, don't pivot to a sales-based company <laughs> if no one on your founding team wants to do sales. Yeah. Talk about that.
1: Uh, yeah, so as part of trying to uh, meet the the new tranches uh, from the new board member, um, we realized we just weren't going to hit it with a, a consumer-based company. Um, we had really good growth. We were seeing like 30% month-over-month growth on our consumer product, but we just weren't seeing the revenue growth. We didn't have that figured out. Um, but we are like, you know what? We could probably try and shift this and sell to this other party involved in this transaction um, and probably get some early money out of there, but it's going to be real salesy. Um, and honestly, it's going to be a lot of cold calling And it just, like, I didn't want to do it. Like, that's not my forte. Um, My co-founder had a marketing background. um, He's like, I guess I'm the better person to do this. Um, But they didn't want to do it either. Mm -hmm. And it just, like, was a slow drain on their life. (laughs) It seemed like they just, like, I feel like he grayed in those, like, six months of doing cold calls, Mm -hmm. you know. And it's just... It was never gonna work because he didn't have the passion behind that work. We were never gonna be able to hire that out to bring on just like a head of sales when I mean, we didn't know what we are selling or how we are selling it yet. You don't want to entrust that to a third party. Um, and so it was just like, it was a bad call. You know, We originally were in looking at a different business with this company that required building hardware. And mm. we decided, I don't know how to build hardware. You don't know how to sell hardware why are we looking at trying to build hardware? So we pivoted and we should have done that same analysis again. Like we don't, you don't want to sell. Why are we pivoting to this business? Like we have to build a business that works for us as a team um, or go out and find a sales co-founder, like bring on that person, but not just trying to like wiggle into this kind of business. Yes.
2: Yeah. You can have the best strategy on earth, but if you don't have the team whose gifts and maybe not even gifts, like passions line up with that strategy, it's doomed to fail. Yeah.
1: I mean, especially sales, like if you just, if you're trying to force yourself from the sales, there's just yeah. something that's soul sucking about it. But it's like, if you like it, you'll love it. But
2: mm. yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, relatedly, you said avoid selling to sole incorporators. Hmm.
1: Yeah, so we, we actually made this mistake twice now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as Cosmatic, at one point we're trying to sell to real estate agents um, and with um, B we've been looking at selling to farmers, small farmers specifically. Mm. Um, and you kind of sole incorporators kind of small like really small businesses usually you know end of one um, they they want to be treated like a business they have the demands of a business but they don't want to pay more than a consumer and so you're in this weird spot where you're having to do having to do sales having to do um, really you know onboarding and customer support but you're maybe getting 10, 20 dollars a month out of them before they just start like balking at the cost and so it's like it's just a very specific, like, you can't, especially in the early days, it's just not a good place to start. You can eventually exist for them, and they can kind of be like a funnel and, you know, a funnel yeah. that could come through. But um, if that is your target market out of the gate, like, it's just not usually a great place to be.
2: Yeah. What, do you think there's a dollar amount in terms of customer value you need to have in order to have a sales funnel instead of a marketing funnel?
1: yes i don't know what that is but yes. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the same thing which yeah. is like there's certain or just go free i mean like you're just not like if that you know that's kind of what we're doing with farm b is like mm-hmm. we're just going to bring people in figure out there's value in the product and eventually find a way to produce value like we're treating a like consumer product even mm-hmm. though farms are a business because they just you don't they don't have a team they're you're not finding a champion inside a company like they're consumers at the end of the day mm-hmm. um and so you're better off just probably bringing them in figuring out where they're finding value in the product and yeah, then monetizing Self-service, there. yeah,
2: yeah, that's good. Um, you said understand your target B two B customers' biggest perceived need. Mm-hmm. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, so we found this with Cosmatic. Um, so when talking to real estate agents, our tool would basically say, "Hey, you get all these leads that you buy from Zillow and Trulia. Um, we can convert them into sales better at a faster pace um, uh, for you, so you can get more sales per year." Um, but the way that real estate agents are hardwired is I need more leads. Um, so I, not I all, need more qualified leads. Yeah. I, I just need more leads. leads. And so right, like, then I can sell them and then I can yeah. sell them. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'll qualify them. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and so originally we were trying to like be that lead generator for them. Um, but with the BDB product, we were just trying to help them convert their leads better. And all they heard was you want to charge me money and you're not bringing me more leads and they were out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't matter, like no matter no number of white papers or anything like that. Like we just didn't understand the mindset of a real estate agent. Like I don't know why the days. I don't know if they're just like they're hearing that from peers or they're hearing that from the people selling the ads or like whatever that might be. But you know, and you could argue whether that that is the true need or not. But it's like they would tell you under times the only thing I need is more leads. And then we said, okay, but we're not selling any leads. They were out. And so we like we could have done that equation up front and be like, this probably won't work out um and so it's like even if you could try and convince them that the leads they have are now worth more that's just not the way they were wired to think and they would have told us that if we would have asked more questions <laughs> before we got into building it and then trying right, to say, i it. know what your biggest yes. problem should be <laughs> yeah and, and you like, might have
2: been right that's the crazy thing yeah, it doesn't matter it doesn't yeah matter. <laughs> yes yeah yep um next you said don't linger when something isn't working move on
1: yeah um i think you see this a lot um especially in the midwest of and I think it's kind of VC driven, Midwest VC driven. That like they just want to put more money in, try one more thing, do all these things. And I get it from their yep. perspective, that is probably best for them. But for you as a founder, you know when your passion's gone, you know when there's nothing there, um, and it's it's time to let it go. Um, and so if you have money left in the bank, don't just sit around paying people until it runs out. Like return the money, like people will appreciate that and. And move on to the next thing. And may, if it's in the same space, maybe there's a pivot there. But a lot of times, you usually know when it's time to be like, no, this isn't the space for me. This isn't the team to do what I think I might want to do next. Or I have no idea. I need to go sit in a dark room for three months before I can have creative thoughts again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just like, don't linger. You know, so, There's all these stories about, oh, I persisted through for two years of darkness. And then I came through. But most people just persist through darkness, and then they just still go down anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's I, I'm of the belief that it's just, if it's not working, find a way to either move into a space that could work or return the money let people reallocate and mm-hmm. try again.
2: Yeah, what was that decision like for you? Because, I mean, you could have done another pivot. You had enough cash in the bank, right? So that you- yeah,
1: We were. I mean, we were kind of getting down close, but we we basically did the equation of any pivots we did, if we pivot back to b to c we didn't have enough time to ramp up to any mm-hmm. sort of revenue um we had basically missed our tranche so our lead investor wasn't interested in definitely following on so we knew our our stakes for kind of raising the next round or finding more money were probably at that point pretty low um and we just i mean my one founder just burned himself out trying to do cold calls for six eight months it just wasn't working and so um no one was fighting to keep the company alive Mm. not even our lead vc and so um we basically kind of announced that, like, hey, like this is this is where we're at. We don't see this moving forward. Um, we don't see us moving forward with it uh, at, at a bare minimum. So it was. Um, it led to a lot of hard conversations. I think some feelings were hurt on the VC side, but um, it just wasn't right for us. We knew we weren't going to show up tomorrow and be excited to work in that space or on that product or with them anymore. So it was time to cut it.
2: Did you feel much shame through that?
1: I actually felt more shame leaving my first company, which is actually still alive to this day. Yeah. And so it's like yeah. I, you know, like killing that entity. No one really. I don't know. No, we didn't have a good relationship with our VC, so no mm-hmm. one was really like I didn't worry but about. But even like feelings. in the community or something, yeah.
2: I didn't perceive in talking yeah. with you about it, yeah. which I think I reached out pretty shortly after. <laughs> um, I was like, but you never seemed to feel like it seemed like. Yeah. At least the way you spoke, it seemed like you were just like, hey, we had some theories. We yeah. tested those theories. It yeah. didn't pan out. And we said, we made an adult decision and said, this isn't worth pursuing further. Yeah, no, but it I'm... didn't seem like you were you internalized it. No. And I think
1: I learned after my first company not to make my identity tied to the company. Hmm. Um, which is really only something you can learn as a second-time founder. It's like... Hey, like my identity is an entrepreneur and I try things and they work great. And if they don't work great or if they're not, if I'm not on the right team, I'm going to bow out. Like I'm not going to just stick around and suffer just because I started this thing on a bus two years ago or I'm not going to sit around and and hate this thing because, just because I happened to start it. Like it's either working for people or it's not, I don't want to waste more of anyone's money. I don't want to waste more of my time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I've never felt shame about, like I, I felt shame leaving my first company just because of the interpersonal things and just like hurt feelings and things like that yeah. but you no know, in terms of like shuttering the company I felt worse for having to let go people you know yeah. I'm, I'm terrible at firing people um, and so that was a lot harder than actually shuttering the actual entity
2: and everything like that yeah yeah, I I wish people had more of that perspective and like I, <laughs> no. I try to position it in my head um, as if you're in R&D at P&G yeah you don't say like, oh, this test failed, therefore I'm a failure. Yeah. It's like, no, did I did I conduct a clean research environment? Yeah. Did I do good tests? Yeah. And you just got to trust that like if you do that, yeah. eventually you'll have a discovery. Yeah. And that's kind of what started. We're professional we're the outsourced R and D department of the yeah. economy. We shouldn't sure. expect them to <laughs> succeed every single time. Yeah. That would be unreasonable.
1: And even, you know, through this conversation, we're talking about a lot of things that I did wrong through that. And mm-hmm. but it's still like but i tried my best and like mm-hmm. and i ultimately i don't think with like cosmatic i don't in hindsight i don't think no matter what we did as executioners were we the right product for the right that market at that time probably not um so it's like if we i don't know if we ever had a chance to succeed but you know i definitely think of things that we did could have done better um as as we went along but you know i did give it my best at the time and you know what's our what else there? yeah yeah, yeah.
2: Cool. You said, uh, don't stop swinging when things are okay. Yeah. In a venture-backed company, things need to be great or, or they're not working.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, it, it speaks to the mindset difference of a bootstrap company or um, a venture-backed company. You know, it's one of those things that, like, the decisions we made early have set our course forever in a lot of cases. You know, you hear those strange cases of someone buying back equity from VCs, but most of the time it's we took on money because they want to see a 10x return of where we are now, and if we take on later money, they want to see a 10x return of where we yes. are now. And if you're not on a trajectory to provide that 10x return or get someone else excited about another 10x return, um, then you're not doing what they hired you to do, mm-hmm. um, and that's is okay. This, because, is this
2: specific to Cladwell? Um, I guess. Which where do you see that lesson? Would you?
1: Probably it started with Costomatic of, like, we had 30% month-over-month growth um, of a consumer product, but zero growth in revenue. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, we were, like, continuing along that path. We felt good about it, but not great. Um, But we stayed on that path too long. And that's, you know, and then we started to have the pivot to, like, oh, now we have to fix revenue and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. It's, like, we should have been swinging harder, trying bigger things, seeing where we could push rather than trying to optimize that. that. I mean, good growth, but not overnight, you know, success growth kind of thing, especially at that stage. Um, And collateral too, you know, we were always okay. Um, And there are times where, you know, we just, we probably needed to take more big swings um, to meet the expectations of what had been done before because we had raised that money. It's just like there was only one success. And even if someone else might find it successful, it's not success in the people who actually own the company at that point.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's that it's that phrase um, of you it's like if you're just competent enough to not get fired yeah. that's the worst situation yeah. to be in. You know, yeah. um, actually you talk about it here you say remove everything in the way of making big swings. Yeah. Even if it hurts feelings or worsens the product. Yeah. Um, talk about that.
1: Yeah, I mean you know, we. I actually think about Cloudwell with this too it's like we were set up in a way that we had a really good product that was doing okay um, and to keep it we we wanted to keep the really good, but also change that okay to great. Um, but we wouldn't have the infrastructure set up to just like wildly change things on a dime. You know, like if we could have rebuilt something or redid things in a way that didn't take three developers four months to do something, um, we could done that in three developers one month, then we could have made four bigger swings Um, even if the user experiences were for everyone, even if this, because like we're trying to serve this market that we know is not going to lead us to success. Like our current users, there's not enough of them that we could find with our marketing to bring us to what we actually knew what success was. Um, So we needed to find new customers and maybe let those old customers go or, serve them worse so that we could try and find you know so it's like we just we probably needed to set things up they were lower our quality standards so that you can make more big swings until you're just drowning in <laughs> success and then you start to bring up the quality level again yeah.
2: i think that i'm mean, even here you can describe it I, my hands get clammy <laughs> oh yeah that was such a hard thing yeah i mean i I don't, like, I don't. I went, to I made the
1: wrong decision every time yeah. it comes to i was like you know i want to put out a quality product right. yeah
2: and we we had you know you know 25,000 people yeah like every day using yeah. this thing and if we change something people freaked out <laughs> yeah. and emailed Jen yeah. like, it was just horrible yeah but there weren't it, if we kept on the trajectory we were on it wasn't gonna make a difference yeah and that was it was difficult yeah 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 oh I like leads to the next one you said make sure everyone on the leadership team is interested in building a business
1: yeah yeah I mean I think sometimes you you bring people on because they're great product people, and but and this happens all the time with CTOs mm-hmm. too. But um, they're just they want to build a great product and give serve everyone a great product and things like that. Um, but that's not what you're there for, kind of thing. Um, and so they can be part of your team. They you don't necessarily need to be part of the leadership team. Yeah.
2: And then the next point you said: make sure everyone <laughs> the leadership team is interested in building the same <laughs> business.
1: Yes. So. Um, yeah. I mean, we, you know this as well as I. It's like you can have this great product, this great idea, um, and it could be a great business, but if it's not a great venture backed business and you've taken venture money, it just doesn't really matter in the long run in terms of success of the company. So yeah, that is, uh, you just have to, and your leadership team has to be aligned on what you're doing there every day. Yep. Um, so
2: yeah. yeah. And I think especially the temptation for me in that I think was definitely there were I think there were certain disagreements that maybe I wasn't even fully aware yeah. were there um that I think why bring those up when we have a lot to do right now let's yeah. just keep pushing it forward yeah. and um kind of some of your, your earlier points saying I mean, like you need to have those conversations are we really on the same page yeah. right now yeah. are we all aligned that this is what we're doing right yeah. now um and stop everything until you're in that same spot yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I, mean, I wish I had the, this hindsight as we're sitting in that room as well. Yeah. You know, it, it was just definitely
1: uh, like, oh, yeah, no, that probably didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> um, I
2: remember a darts game where you and I had this conversation. Yeah. Like, where we like, we were playing darts, and like we were yeah. like, okay, I think I see. Because yeah. I think what we did, we did the math of yeah. uh, our current dollar spend to get a customer yeah. and how much money the customers gave us. Yeah and how many of those customers exist on earth yeah. and the metrics we needed to deliver in order to get a return for investors. Yeah. And we backed in of what we needed to get to get the return there weren't enough humans on earth yeah. to provide that return based on yeah. the cost to acquire a customer yeah. we're like oh it's broken.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's broke. We have we yes. have to try something new. Yeah. And that that's really hard. That's a hard conversation to have with yes. any team that's been putting their heart and soul into no the question. thing which they...
2: yes. Yeah. Um, Next, you said avoid creating a culture of us versus them between founders and employees. Yeah. Talk about that.
1: Um, So, I mean, this has been a a case in literally every company I've been Mm -hmm. a part of, Um, I guess, except the ones where it was only founders. (laughs) So far, it hasn't happened in borderless place. Yes, that's good. Um, But, I mean, you just have this, like, you have a leadership team who, if you you kind of think of it as a leadership team, and then the leaders get together and they come out and kind of, like, talk to the teams of what they're going to do, it just creates this perception of like, oh, they just went in a room and decided the case, the you know, the path of this business, then came out and told me how my job's going to change. And before I even got through that, they went back in the room and decided how oh, my job's going to change again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just like thinking back on you know, for the three companies I've been part of, where there was a leadership team and employees, it'd be better to just have like your leadership meetings should be at a level that the board meetings are at. And then the day to day stuff should be between the teams. And, you know, it's like, I think that you can have a top level strategy, a top level plan, but then everything else, everyone needs to be involved in some way or at least be present. And that's something we actually did, like, we got a lot better at with Gladwell. But I think there's, you know, times where there was this perception from, Everyone else that we'd go in a room, come out, and they're like, "How did we even end up here? No one was brought along." Mm-hmm. Um, but we're like, "Well, we got to go. You know, days matter. You know, yes. like, and yeah. so we had to, you know, really push through." So um, I think it's just a, a management style for these small teams where people are there not just because they want to work for a startup, but because they believe in the business, believe in the product, mm-hmm. um, and so they want to be a part of those decisions. So,
2: yeah. yeah, I. I I remember feeling frustrated by that. Of it felt more perceived than
1: actual. Oh, it was one hundred percent perceived from mm-hmm. and like because there's even times where I was not even included in what people considered the leadership team, yeah. you know. And so it's like, and it was it wasn't really there weren't there's nothing people were missing out on, but it was just yeah you know, it was the perception of yes. that. And so because they weren't involved, they weren't brought along. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it, it was something we did better at the end. So.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Um. You said talk to as many other founders as you can find the time for, Yeah, talk about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, being a founder is really lonely. Um, you know, there's times where I'd be part of a, a company that had, you know, I think we were at 15 or 16 people at Listener and you could be in the office with two other people at two in the morning, but like you just feel so alone because like they're in the weeds with you themselves, but no, they're not happy. And mm-hmm. then you go and you talk to your kind of, your kind of personal support group, friends and family none of them are working late hours or if they are, you know, it's like, it's a different type. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you want to interface with as many people who are in the same mental state as you as possible. Um, ideally, even at the same stage of company as you um, because of the frustrations around trying to raise and just like trying to find product market fit and you're just putting in hours and it's not moving the needle. Um, it can be, it can be rough. And you know, nine out of 10 companies fail, you know, like, and that's just, you know the odds going in, but you don't think about it as you're, like, putting in these, you know, 4 a.m. mornings um, where you're just trying to, like, not be that 9 out of 10, but chances are going can be the 9 out of 10. So you want to make sure that yeah, you're in a good place and a, in a good mental state um, as much as possible. And I think surrounding yourself with like-minded people, even just to shoot the shit with, it doesn't have to be anything super serious, like, it just be around them under, be around other people who are pushing through and and it can be really
2: helpful. So that's really good. Next, you said, uh, gut check with yourself every few months to make sure you like the actual work.
1: Yeah. Um, I think this actually, you know, happened with a couple of my co-founders. Um, you know, they, you know, one being, you know, with sales at Mm Cosmatic. Um, but if you don't, if you're not liking the day-to-day work, like You have to be, you know, this is, again, 9 out of 10 aren't going to succeed. So you have to like the journey. Um, And if you're not liking the journey, like change something about it. Um, You don't necessarily have to leave or whatever, but like bring it up with your co-founders, do what you need to do because it's, you know, you have a lot of work ahead of you. Um, It's, you know, the journey, if you start to find success, it's five to seven years um, before you actually find that success in any meaningful way um and it could be four to seven years of not finding success too so like if you're not enjoying the day-to-day like bow out now it's not going to like suddenly get better when you're just swimming in money or anything like that so yeah,
2: yeah. you i've noticed that you have like a pretty you're very aware of time and yeah. like life being short yeah and some of that has to do with even your personal experience yeah. i feel like i remember having that talk when you left Cladwell. yeah and you i very clearly you just said like hey i i know the Days are numbered. Yeah. And it's important that I'm not gonna go a day yeah. hating the work that I'm doing or not or not doing what I want to be doing. Yeah. That's probably a better way to put it. Because you yeah. went through a lot of stuff that you didn't enjoy. Yeah. But you didn't have any cognitive dissonance with the, with what you were doing.
1: Yeah. I mean for me it it comes down to, you know, the reason I left Cloudwell is because I wanted to do this next venture with my wife and like that was important to me and like and so when I started to weigh the option to like if I miss out on this opportunity what am I gaining do I see like will I be happy that I'm still here doing this work instead of doing the work with her Uh, and if the answer is no then it's like then I need to bow out now because like going to work unhappy is the worst thing you can do for your team for everything it's just like it's not good. <laughs> um, we've all done it for a short period of time but if it's going to be like I know the next six months I'll do it for the paycheck or I'll do it for this or whatever you just you're not going to end up in a good place. Um, and so for me it's like I will regret not taking this and I will take that out on my work here. Uh, and so it was really important for me to be like and I'm, this isn't the right place for me right now. So, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting I feel like we use people use phrases like going to work on happy. Yeah. And I think the truth is that if you're, it's almost like, it's not unha- it's not happiness because I feel like yeah. all work, it's called work. It's work, yeah, <laughs> right. And so like yeah. there's always parts where you're pulling your hair out. Yeah, but I feel like it's almost like at the conceptual level, am yeah. I happy with the type of work I'm doing? Yeah, and if it, if that's not true at the meta level, yeah, then there's no chance that any of this is going to be happy. Yeah, if that is true at the meta level, then it'll probably look like some days are good some days are bad yeah. but at least you can go up to that level yeah. you know
1: yeah yeah When yeah. I mean, it's what do you feel at the end of the day it's like yeah, yeah it was, like it was a rough day or whatnot but it's like oh it's been a rough week that's oh, been a rough month oh it's like you know it's like okay it's like, like i'm not okay Up, yeah day, i'm not you know? okay
2: yeah yeah that's good um i love this one uh you said pro tip you will see your co-founders more than your spouse so just make one of them your spouse Yes,
1: I think everyone should but do just this. one, yeah, one just ideally. One. Yes, in the state of Ohio, just one. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah so we actually, uh, me and my wife, we actually met um, at a startup weekend. Uh, we're working on the same project on the startup bus. We're co-founders of Listener together, uh, and got married actually after we both left. Um, but, yeah, that we walked away with a marriage instead of equity, you know, it great. Yeah. Yeah. it's great. It's great. Yeah, I think everyone should do it. Worked yeah. out 100% of the time.
2: Yeah, and now with Boilerplate, like, yeah. oh, and with Farm B, yeah, you guys have now partnered together multiple times. So yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah. and I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about, like, how that has worked. But, I mean, it, it's been, we go through these journeys together. Even when she's not a founder in the actual company, she's a part of that company in some way or another. And, yeah. Yes. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, that is really great. No regrets. And so, yeah. And so on that, we're going to take a pause and then we're going to bring Nikki in and talk about what's it like to be co-founders with your spouse. Yeah. So we'll uh, bring her on in just a sec. Welcome, Nikki. <laughs> Thank just you. Just like that. We just come back from the break. <laughs> uh, his, but I don't know if you know, but his last lesson was, his pro tip was uh, just make sure that one of your co-founders is your spouse. And so <laughs> now introducing Nikki, <laughs> right? so now you're here. He yes. so, Yeah. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so uh, you had a couple that you kind of put together as far as lessons that you've learned over the past um, close to a decade, you know, multiple organizations. Yes. (laughs) Um, So the first one you said uh, was venture may not be for you.
0: Yeah, Um, I guess I just, that, that took me a while to learn, you know, like our first company that we did was venture and it was really exciting and fun. Like I really liked that lifestyle at the time. Now looking back on it, like I would not choose that lifestyle, you know, like I think I'm in a different place right now. Two young kids, um, we're expecting a third kid, and it just, that's not the only path. You know, yeah. there's other ways to do it. And you can always leverage venture later. You could use it as a tool. Um, you don't have to, like, start off everything that path, so.
2: Yeah, so it may not even be for you. It, venture may be more appropriate for certain seasons. You know yes. yeah. 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 What do you think uh, would be a sign that venture is for you? Um, or, or is for a founder? Yeah. yeah. Know, like, oh, they definitely should do that.
0: That's a really good question. I mean, I think it's like, maybe you're just all in. Like, yeah. it's all, I mean, not to say that, you know, if you're not doing venture, you're not all in on your business, but I think there's more of a balance. Like, you're kind of seeking more of that lifestyle and more balance than, like, um, just kind of, I mean, you know, ventures for growth, like ventures for yeah. getting it. You're, like, going as fast as you can. Sometimes that excludes other things in your life, so.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I like, uh, was it, Paul Graham says, like, the definition of a startup is uh, an entity that Growth is the number one priority, yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like that priority doesn't just apply to the startup, it actually applies to your entire life, yes. Yeah. Which is like when presented with any options, I'm going to choose growth over yeah. family over all these other things. That, that often seems to be the, yeah, at least the expectation. I don't think that has to be the reality, but yeah. yeah. The expectation for yeah. Future. yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, you also said almost everything is a distraction until you have feedback. <laughs> Talk about
0: that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just think you know, we had a couple times where we've just been spinning in what do we think people would do? What do we think customers would want? Um, how, who should we meet with? Should we go to this networking event? And uh, I just really kind of like how we did it with boilerplate. It was like, we had an idea, we made a product, we sold it. And that was it. Like there were not, there wasn't yeah. much, you know, deterrence from that path. Um, and it just felt really satisfying. and
1: pandemic helped. The pandemic helped. <laughs> <was really laughs> yeah. um,
0: but you know, it really kind of like sets you going from there you know like i feel like then you can kind of start introducing some distractions aside from that
2: yeah it's almost like don't even waste time on theory just hurry up and launch and then now you're in the real world don't like gather all the
0: books and listen to all the podcasts you know like i i'm into that also but it's not like i'm not waiting to make decisions based on any of that so
2: that's really good that's really good um you said uh find people who will call you out when you're distracted (laughs) stalling Procrastinating, wallowing, <laughs> wallowing incisive, et etc. So talk about that.
0: Yeah, that um, that was mostly at me directed me. I mean, um, so I do kind of consider myself a technical creative, but I have those moments where I feel like I don't want to work on this. I'm not feeling creative. I'm I'm not excited about this. But, you know, whatever it is, you're kind of like just procrastinating. And Chris is really like, this was particularly for you. He's very good at like. Just get something done. Like just move on. You know, yeah. like just just do it. And um, kind of brings me back from kind of fantasy land to a more reality.
1: Anytime she has to write an email, it's just oh a.
0: Gosh,
2: yeah, that's the difficult I think of being a creative professional, mm-hmm. Whereas like the creative part of you is like, well, I need I need to feel it in order to do it. Yeah. yeah. But then the professional part of you is like. But it needs to be done now. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like,
0: and I think Seth Godin talks about that a lot, where it's like, just show up and just do the work. Um, and I really like that, but it's hard. I mean, it's just sometimes it's really hard yeah. to do that. So it's helpful to have other people kind of, like, poking you, like, you're kind of procrastinating right now. Like, just, we need it done. Like, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, and that's a good insight that people are often a good solution to that. Yeah. Just get someone else in there, because otherwise it's, if you're in your own uh, head, yes, you want to stay.
0: Very yeah. hard to get yourself out of your own head. Yeah, that's
2: good. Um, relatedly, you said, when you're stuck, try to move the needle. Just take action. You said, excellence is the next five minutes or nothing
0: at all. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, that was a quote I ran into in some reading. And it just really, like, to me, it was like, I just need to make one move right now. And then if I move the needle, if I make some kind of impact, if I make one decision, like, at least I'm taking some action. And again, not, like, wallowing and not being <laughs> indecisive. But um, what's, like, one little thing that I can do? And that quote has really helped me just, like, send an email, do you know things that I don't want to do. It's like, I, I only have to get through this for the next five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then usually that's enough to, to do it, and then it's done. <laughs> <Like I don't laughs> keep thinking about it, so.
2: Yeah, it's so much easier to keep up momentum yeah. than to start yeah. getting momentum. and just look yes. at
0: that next, just each sequential thing that you can do. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's easier.
2: Mm-hmm. You said, uh, I enjoy documenting milestones and decisions made, uh, saving product screenshots, customer mm-hmm. feedback. Um, and looking back on that stuff fe- periodically. Yeah. Talk about
0: that. Um, yeah, and that's like kind of in the process of your workflow. I'm not like creating a flowery scrapbook or anything of that <laughs> stuff, but just like it's really fun to be able to look back, especially for me because I'm making products. Like to look back at my wireframes, to look back at some of the decisions I made about um, user feedback and stuff, and like were those the right decisions? It's, it's a great evaluation tool to yeah. kind of gauge yourself on: am I making the right calls, and am I kind of understanding the feedback that I'm receiving? But I think it's also just neat. It's like when you find an old box of photos from high school and you're like, this is a really good time. You know? like that was really fun. So no. sometimes it's just fun and um, kind of trip down memory lane, but.
2: I read that book. Was it uh, The Messy Middle? Who wrote that one? Um,
0: yeah.
2: He talks about this thing of like when you look at your phone and all of your photos are just screenshots of your product yeah. and pictures of whiteboards. Yeah. And yeah. I just feel like that's so true. If yeah. I look at like, yes. you know, i often on Google photos it says you know this time last year yeah. and I was like that, I was working on that product yeah. that's, exactly. much all that was that's what I try and
0: have like a day one journal that's a really kind of useful way to do it because then it will pop back up and yeah. you can kind of see like oh yeah that's when we went down that other path yes. <laughs> yeah. that didn't work out right. Right. Yeah. sometimes I feel stressed when I look especially at whiteboards because like, I, I can
2: see what I missed yeah. I, like, yeah. I was like oh no I didn't know that this was coming you know? <laughs> that's, that's good um yeah okay so I think some of these might have uh, specifically to do with the dynamic of working as a couple the other two. so I think weigh in uh, 50% each Yeah. <laughs> so let's see uh, you said set expectations and don't feel pressured to work on the same project if the passion isn't there Yeah. Um, so you said it multiple times you, uh, one of you would work full time so uh, the other could start a new company and vice versa so um, expectations at home were also adjusted accordingly so talk yeah. about that a little bit
1: yeah i mean so it actually started so we both left our first company listening together we're like hey we're like you know an entrepreneur couple like let's figure this out <laughs> so um and then you know we were talking and i was you know really talking with my co-founder alex um about what would then become Cosmatic, um and i was trying to loop nikki and eventually she just kind of sat me down like I don't care about real estate i don't Hmm. want to be (laughs) i don't want to do another startup right now like i don't want to raise more money right now like i don't want to be a part of that
0: i'll design yeah yeah i'll I'll work for you but (laughs) then
1: i'm gonna let you free you know and um and she was able to pick up freelance work and basically kind of pay the bills around the house Uh, a lot easier with no kids but um so that i can go off and not get paid in 2015 um and that was, I mean, just incredibly helpful. And there was an expectation of like, yes, I'm most evenings I'm going to work, and you know, most weekends i going to might be in the office, and um, you know, she's there for all the big meetings around product or whatnot. Um, but just wasn't necessarily involved at that founder level. Um, and then vice versa when uh, we actually, well, I was at Cladwell and she wanted to do, um, you know, what would become B i was just like i'm not really there on the farming thing yet i got there but like i'm not there yet um and so godspeed like i'll (laughs) save my computer she's like with your farms um but you know that was like you know we just kind of shifted roles there that that she could figure that out and and go through g beta and things like that so Mm -hmm. it was important i think just like we just kind of had our shot and when things work well and we have you know similar shared interests great when we didn't we still found a way to support each other and, and still be too entrepreneurs of nerves helping it's just one's kind of more focused on the household the other's focused on their business so. mm-hmm.
2: did you ever feel apprehension in expressing like hey i'm just not really into this idea or
0: um i mean probably a little bit more mm-hmm. because i do get excited by like building business i mean that's like what i love to do especially mm-hmm. making the products and ideating and the strategy kind of phase of that so it was more like missing out on just a thing I enjoy or mm-hmm. like doing and obviously I love working with Chris um that's all we do yeah. <laughs> now so but um as far as like I think you were pretty clear like how I felt about like, the actual <laughs> you know like day-to-day and idea yeah. and stuff so no but- I,
1: I mean, it could have been, though, because, like, you know, it could have been a seven-year thing. You know, like, yes. you're, you're setting yes. someone else on, like, go do this thing. It's yeah. the kind of, a, it's not like, a, go try it for six months. It's like, no, like, go do this thing. It's yeah. very different. So.
0: Yeah, it worked out well for us, but it, I could definitely see in other situations where, <laughs> yeah, it could be different. Yeah.
2: Hmm. yeah. You said, uh, when working together, don't bring work home, <laughs> even if you work from home. <laughs> um, so you say create barriers and mm-hmm. stick to them for the most part. So talk about that.
1: You, you wanted to go to no,
0: home. I mean, the only thing, it, like, this is absolutely Chris's influence, because, like, when we were at our first startup, I mean, I would just come, I would just rant, and I would be, like, not anything bad, but it just, like, I was always wanting to ideate outside, like, by ourselves, and when mm. we were at a restaurant, and we are eating lunch, and it just, I was, like, all the time, and he's, like, Okay, we got it. Yeah, like we yeah we spent (laughs) a hundred hours together in the office. Like we don't need to spend another
1: twenty hours outside of the office still talking about this stuff. So yeah, I mean for me and even at home, it's like. We work, like, we schedule meetings if we're going to talk outside of the yeah. office, basically. If we're going to sit, we can sit down in the living room, that's fine. I'm not like, you have to be in the office to talk. But <laughs> um, but it's like, no, we're going to, it's going to be intentional. It's not going to be like, we're just going to randomly go start ideating and working on this thing together mm-hmm. um, outside of, like, when we typically work. I think it's just helpful to, like, for brain chemistry just to, like, do something else, or find your relaxation, yeah. find your habits. Um, and we just find it, like, especially when, like, working on when it's not just the two of us, like you don't want to go away, like have a talk with someone go away for an evening and come back with a whole separate yeah. mindset and set of ideas mm-hmm. that you two are aligned on. And then all of a sudden that person yeah. is in the minority. Um, it just kind of creates the wrong kind of culture and that team and wrong team dynamic there. They, like yeah. you kind of have that advantage of like, you're going to go home and seriously plot kind of thing. It's what it yeah. feels like to the other people yeah, in the team. Yeah. You yeah.
2: Know? yeah. No, that's really so, I guess, where have you had to discipline yourself the most, do you think, on
1: that? Oh, definitely in the early days um, of when just, like, when you're...
2: Was that listener particular? Listener particular. Like most? Um, yeah, I mean... You guys were falling <laughs> in love, too. Like, I like, know. just start like, that's I like, know. Yeah. I had
1: to, to set down, down my boundary, basically. It's yeah. like, yeah. I don't want to talk about this 24-7, like, yeah. and yeah. like, and I could just turn it off. You know, I think that's yeah, just, like, he, a male-female gender dynamic, to too. And, like, I can just, like, turn it off when I walk out of the office and she's just, like... She's like, I'm still fuming, but I'm going to fume over here for another 45 minutes and we'll talk. It's
2: like, okay, thanks. There's some dynamic that you almost, because you actually still do need to process your thoughts. It's almost like if you are married and working together, you almost have to supplement some spousal role (laughs) by saying like, great, I'm going to call my sibling or something. yeah. Yeah. the journal.
0: That was like my big, yeah, Yeah. just creative journal, writing journal, whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because I would have loved to be there like, oh, I'm going to go the spouse mode and be your spouse here yeah. and not your co-founder. But I, 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 couldn't, make <laughs> <separation. Yeah. laughs> I couldn't make that separation. Yeah, I couldn't make that separation. So that's good, that's good. it would just keep all the argument going if it was an argument or something like that. It just mm-hmm. wasn't super helpful. So.
2: Yeah. Um, I like this next one. Create the distinction between each other to teammates.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're still working on that. Um, yeah. I think it's really hard that, um, and I think even just like with us working together, we have a conversation and I think you might have the expectation that Nikki knows about that conversation yeah, or but- <laughs> the knowledge that we talked about, yeah. um, mm-hmm. or vice versa. And like, we, we don't like, we're yeah. like, we, we sit next to each other in the office and we're both working, but we have headphones on, we're getting our stuff done. Like, and again, I don't want to create that, like we're the shared entity. Cause I think that's bad in general, but um but yeah there's just times where like i'll say something and she's like i don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> hey like, blake talked about oh yeah, like, I mean, yeah. so like yeah. it was just one of these things of like we have to remember like we're three people not like two couples because of you know <laughs> and everything. Yeah, it's, just, it, it's hard yeah um
0: it is Well, and i think it's especially because you are more extroverted and mm-hmm. you do like to you know, talk more. <laughs> wow. Wow. So it, you have more conversations. Yeah. So it, like, especially when we were in offices and things. It yeah. It was much more like where I would just be off designing. Something, yeah. So like, yeah. He's
2: been talking so much.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's just inflating the
1: ego <laughs> even more. Yeah.
2: Yeah. no, I think that's really good, and yeah, I think some of it's reminding the people you're working. Oh, with I was, right yeah, absolutely, like yes. I'm yeah. Actually, getting this right now for the, I'm like, yeah, see, okay, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when
1: I wrote it, I'm like, oh yeah, like this is still definitely happening. Yeah. But yeah, because I mean, it was kind of something Nikki brought up. Like people just assume if you know something, I know something. I'm like, yeah,
2: it's right. Like, yeah. Kind of like a John yeah. Mulaney, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. You <know>? yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a huge, that's a huge deal. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so you said, uh, even with both of us being founders and past mm-hmm. founders, et cetera, you said it doesn't make it easier when one of you has to solo parent on a weekend because <laughs> the other is catching up on work.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, you would think that, like, we've both been in the weeds for a decade. We mm-hmm. both understand the work. We've both been in this role that doesn't matter when you're just being swarmed by small children <laughs> and just like having to like, while they're just up, like with their headphones on working. You're yeah. like, I want to do that. That's you know? Exactly. So, yes, yeah.
0: um,
1: yeah, I mean, it's just tough or it's just, like, you just want that, like, Oh, you've been working every night for two weeks. We just haven't like sat down and watched a movie or talked mm-hmm. in a while. Um, and, like it, those problems still exist. Even if your spouse is also a founder and a co-founder and like has the same once and for the company that you do, it just, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like, I think that's so the thing is
0: like, you, you understand, like, you yeah. know that it, what they're working on is not, they're not BSing you. Like yeah. it's important. You know exactly what they're doing, what the payoff is. And like, oh, that doesn't, for some reason <laughs> it's it easier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, I'm really not right now. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make it easier just because you can empathize or justify yes. it. Yes. it, it yeah. It's still as unpleasant. Yeah. You yes. Right. Yes. Well, yes. 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 Yeah.
1: Not yeah. that watching your children is unpleasant, no, but they're great
2: yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah um okay you said plan family decisions around what works for your family not your company hint having a baby is never good for <laughs> yes
1: yeah i think we learned this i think we we're trying to um as we started to think about having kids and you know we were we we're just i was just joining with cladwell all the time we started to think about this and it's like, well, is this going to be, like, how would this time out? Would we, and it's like, there's never a good, and again, we learned it with the honeymoon. Like, there's never a good time to, like, according to the company, the entity of everyone who's in the weeds, like, you can't leave for two weeks. That'd be insane. Like, um, so there would never be a good time for that. So it's like, your company will exist or won't exist. If it's successful, it'll be successful. If it's not, it won't be. But you're not. You have a pretty limited time period as a human being to have healthy children. So it's like you probably should do that in that time period if that's what you want. Um, and so that that was like once we crossed that bridge once, it was it was fine. But it's like definitely something we had to like really think about. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I I think I'm curious for you because obviously there's uh, there's one thing which is like. A month off, your physical energy is going to be impacted for mm-hmm. nine months during this period. Not to right. mention the six months of postpartum after that. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. That is, it, and it gets more difficult with each child too mm-hmm. because you're chasing other children around. Yeah. So it is. Yeah, there's just no way to time it. I think you just you just got to do it. yeah. know. Do hmm.
1: it. Yeah, make it work.
2: <laughs> yeah. Clearly, it's did never you stopped guys? you guys. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, did you guys? Uh, I guess did you consider? did you delay having kids at all based on that for yourselves or was that not a factor as much?
0: I don't know if it was like a conscious delay. I think we talked about, like again, we kept like talking and talking, but
1: I don't think just based on timing, because we, we we wanted to do it after our honeymoon. So that obviously was delayed because of that. And so, um, I don't think it was delayed for, for company reasons because it was the honeymoon was delayed for company reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, but know, I think at the end there was like, I think at that point we realized, like, there's never a good time for anyone, but um, I think it's just it's something that comes up with a lot of people, like, oh, I can't start a company right now, we want to have small kids, or I have small kids, and it's like, you the you, company will work if you put the work into it, and, you know, like you find a way to make the company work regardless of, of that. But I know.
0: think that's especially a difficult choice with the first, like, you just have no idea what to expect, and like... Yeah you do get together. first company or first baby first baby yeah. <laughs> yes. you both yeah because <laughs> like i remember thinking that like i'm never gonna have time to do anything like mm-hmm. how will i ever be able to work yeah i mean yeah. you just like catastrophize in a, in a good way you know <laughs> like all right but yeah. like um but you get to the other side and it's fine yeah. like it works. you just it works out it yeah. really really does so
2: yeah life kind of has a way of expanding to contain yeah yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. and it's a, i mean i think for both of us, we can very clearly yeah. say oh, it's been a, a net positive yes. in oh, yeah. your life, yeah. you know, yeah. as a person, and even. um But yeah, I think on the other side of the wall of it, before you have children, it, you do think, is. "How could yeah. I possibly make that work?" Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I love that. That's our last one because like that's be a great <laughs> passion point for me because yes. I feel like uh, I've had multiple entrepreneurs reach out. I think because like whatever content we have there's always like children in the background yes and so people think like oh he has kids in the startups yeah. how does that work so it's nice yeah. that i'm not the only crazy one yeah um, yeah and to everyone out there have kids <laughs> yes do it marry pretty- a co-founder <laughs> have <laughs> babies <laughs> with them <laughs> no, wow, this is a- i can't <laughs> wait to have um, the conversation about enrolling our kids in the startups yes a of years. Like, that's gonna be a fun conversation so yeah. well uh chris nikki this is great. Yeah. We powered through it, We did it. 39 lessons wow. in a decade. I can't wait to get the next lessons. We're making our current lessons right now oh. Oh. with Boilerplate and so I'm very curious like what we're gonna learn in the next couple years here. Maybe so. in the next couple days.
1: Yeah. It's not better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> cool. All right. Thank you guys. Thank this you. was great. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey, I hope you liked that video. If so, maybe watch another right here. Why not? Also, uh, make sure to hit subscribe down below. Thanks for watching.